Pops was an immigrant, lifestyle illegit, but now our own businesses started out the trunk, ended up at the dealership. What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a really good show lined up for you guys today. Of course, we're talking about the Final Four. We have our uh, our, our national semifinal in the NCAA men's basketball tournament. It is not necessarily the Final Four thing a lot of people had. There are certainly some surprises with Auburn, especially in Texas Tech. But they did advance all the way to Minneapolis, where they'll be facing... Um, uh, Virginia and Michigan State, respectively, in what was I thought was fantastic, uh, Sweet 16, Elite 8, uh, a weekend we had this past week in terms of the game, the quality of the games were just incredible, there were very few blowouts, most of the games went right down to the wire, and were pretty much classics, it was, it was a really a great weekend for college basketball, so we'll talk about that along with some of the teams that did not make it, in particular Duke, and, and what the fallout is with the end of Zion Williamson's college basketball career. Also on the show, we'll talk about the uh, scandal involving Chris Porzingis, the Dallas Mavericks forward, has been uh, has been accused of rape in New York City, and uh, there seems to be a pretty lengthy legal battle that is uh, that is, is headed uh, that that is coming pretty soon. So uh, we'll break down the re- the latest on that. We'll have flames and trash. We'll have Kendall's court. Should be a fun, entertaining show. Uh, before I do that, I do once again want to send my condolences to the rapper Nipsey Hussle, whose intro, the song was played on the intro here from Nipsey Hussle. Of course, he died this past week in Los Angeles. We love hip hop, and I thought it was important to, to mention that on this show and to give him that shout out. Uh, so, shout out to Nipsey, um, and, and let's get this show on the road. So, Kendall uh, joins me on today's show as always. Kendall, what are you looking forward to talking about today? Uh yeah yeah a lot of uh, a lot of big college basketball obviously we got the final four coming up out in Minneapolis um well I think in my opinion I think the I think that might have been the best second weekend that I've ever seen one of the best ever in terms of the elite eight it was statistically the best ever in terms of the margin the point differential the lowest ever in elite eight history so. Um, and it seemed like the Sweet 16 games were also uh, pretty high level. So uh, excellent basketball we had last week. Um, you know, it was a lot of a uh, lot of little uh, baseball nuggets, um, obviously because opening day uh, and the week the season started this week. So um, obviously uh, been getting into baseball recently, but um, yeah, also you know pretty pretty big bomb dropped on the uh on the on the Dallas Mavericks. Well, maybe not, depending on the fact, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole nother conversation. But um pretty, Dallas Maverick fans in the NBA, I think certainly with the whole Chris Aspirating situation. So we have a lot to get to on the show and I'll be talking about Zion Williamson's feature in Kendall's court. So uh stay tuned for that. All right. So let's start off as you say Kendall with the final four. So we have our four teams. We will have Michigan State taking on Texas Tech on one side of the bracket. And on the other side of the national semifinal, it will be Auburn and Virginia. Auburn and Virginia will kick it off on Saturday, and then it will be Texas Tech. Michigan State in the nightcap. Um, All four of these teams uh, really grinded to get here, Uh, and and especially in their Elite Eight games. 
Um, none of these teams walked through. They were all playing very highly competitive, very close games that were nip and tuck. There were two upsets when you look at Auburn and Texas Tech. And, and I mean, Michigan State, you could say as well, with Duke being the number one overall seed. Kendall, of the teams that are left in the field, who is the one that you feel like is most dangerous? Um, It's interesting because, like, I mean, obviously I picked Virginia to win it all in my bracket, so obviously I'm high on them. Um, I think a lot of times when it comes down to the Final Four, one, having the best player is always important because um, it always gives you the best – you know, you're always going to be in a game. Um, typically, we've seen the teams with the best player, uh, you know, sometimes the better players beat better teams. And that's uh, sometimes it doesn't go that way, but a lot of times we've seen that in college basketball when you get this late in the game. Um, when I look at the team with the best player, I would say it's Texas Tech with Jared Culver. You can make the case Cassius Winston's playing at an extremely, extremely high level. Um, you can make the case, you know, Virginia's got, you know, Kyle Guy who could get uh, on fire in a heartbeat and could light you up for 30 if he gets hot. Um, but I would say, I, I mean, I think Virginia is the best team left. Uh, I think they are the most talented and the probably most well-coached. Um, but I, I think the team that's the most dangerous, I would say, is Texas Tech only because I think they have the best player. Mm. Yeah, to be honest, I, I, I'm in agreement with you. I, I think Texas Tech is the most dangerous team. And, you know, for those who listen to the show and know I'm a Gonzaga fan, maybe that sounds biased to, to maybe other people. But uh, Texas Tech, to me, is dangerous because, like you said, they have uh, the best player in the tournament left with uh, Jared Culver, who did not play a great game or even a good game, really, on Saturday. But his team found a way to win. And to me, that's dangerous in itself. Jared Culver is a guy that I don't expect to shoot 5 for 19 in either of these last two games, even though he's playing against a very good defensive team in Michigan State. Jared Culver is the kind of player that's not going to shoot 5 for 19 again. In fact, that the Texas Tech defense is so solid and so strong. They were able to keep them in that game and take it in the end. Um, that That's a team that I think right now is playing extremely at an extremely high level. I think Chris Beard has definitely distinguished himself as one of the best coaches in college basketball. I think they're an incredibly dangerous team because they got great size in the front court. They have a star player, and they have uh, really seasoned, tough backcourt players in um, in uh, Mooney and, and the kid from Italy. Moretti. Uh, yeah, Moretti, who those guys are fearless. They're not afraid to take big shots and make big shots. They're excellent defensively. They're to me the most dangerous team, but uh, to me this is uh, this is while it's not CBS's dream for a Final Four, uh, this is a good Final Four in the sense that I, I don't feel like I, I look at any of these teams and feel like oh there's a there's a definitive favorite. I know Virginia is the team that's highest ranked left in the field. I know Virginia has spent a lot of the season number one overall uh, in terms of the, the the AP and the coaches poll during the season, but. Even their matchup with Auburn, Kendall. I mean, Auburn's a team that, that they just get the, you get the feeling that we see teams of destiny. You know, I don't like to use that word because, you know, it's kind of cliche. But 
with the way Auburn was able to 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 win that last game against Kentucky without Okiki, even though when they played Kentucky last time they saw him, they got beat by almost thirty points. Um, the way Bryce Brown shooting the ball, the way uh, Harper is is orchestrating the offense, I, I don't see any gimmies for either of these teams. I think these are going to be two very close games on Sun uh, on on Saturday. Do you feel the same way about Auburn? Yeah, all about Auburn, uh, about Auburn being dangerous as well as these all four of these teams really did not be much uh, of a massive difference between any of them. I think that these are all gonna, these are going to be two very close games, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because I think they. I agree that I think they'll be close. I think mostly because of the style of play. Yeah, of team Virginia and Texas Tech, um, you know. It's going to be hard, I think, for for them to. I mean, they they've blown teams up before, you know, just suffocating them defensively to the point where they couldn't score. Yeah, but you know, I, I don't think Auburn and Michigan they haven't been able to really do that in this tournament. Uh, and you're playing usually when playing against teams this good. Yeah, at this late in the t- it's hard to run away from them like that. Yeah, exactly. Not when you no, play the way Texas Tech. Not when you play you play Texas Tech. Well, not the way Texas Tech and uh, Virginia plays. Exactly. So. Um, I, so I agree that I, I I would also envision probably closer games. Um, Auburn, for me, they do feel like the weak link in this uh, in this bracket or in this Final Four. Um, they do. They I think I you know they do give away that team of destiny vibe because uh, you know you kind of feel like it's kind of improbable that they've gotten this far. Yeah. Um, Given you know they're not the most talented team in the country, uh, you know they won the SEC, but even that was was a struggle. Um, the SEC tournament, um, losing uh, Okiki and still finding a way to beat Kentucky was very impressive. Um, but you wonder if that was I don't want to I don't want to take credit away from them, but you wonder did that fall more on the shoulders of Kentucky than them. Um, yeah, which is a whole other question, but I mean, I it's one of those situations where I I kind of want to see it again, and I don't know if they've completely. I mean, they've had an excellent tournament run, you know, Final Four to Final Four, no matter how you get there. But if we're talking about them legitimately winning a national championship, uh, a win against Virginia, I think would certainly solidify them as serious, serious, serious. Contender. I mean, at that point, they have one more game left, so they would definitely be. Uh, it doesn't be a contender. Yeah, they would be. They would be the definition of a contender. <laughs> Contending for the title in <laughs> one be game. The contender. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I mean, this is a huge test. I agree with though in that premise that you know Virginia is the kind of team that you know I feel like Auburn. I feel like Auburn, as well as they've played. I'm not trying to take away what they've done. I think they've gotten favorable matchups in the sense that they haven't really played teams that were going to make them uncomfortable. They didn't shoot that great against Kentucky, but I don't think it was. I don't think Kentucky was purposely, to me at least, was was purposely trying to say we're gonna keep you in the half court and we're gonna keep this a, a grind out kind of game. Kentucky doesn't play that way. I think that's just kind of how the game became because of the nature of the Elite Eight. You're battling against a conference opponent that you know very well. It became that Kentucky kind of game, but I think Auburn had the luxury uh, of really outside of their first game, which they they still played a team that played their style, but they didn't play very well. Auburn had the luxury of playing teams that were not going to take them out of what they like to do. North Carolina is not going to take 
Auburn out of what they like to do. Auburn likes to get up and down. They like to shoot threes. They like to press. They like to change the tempo. North Carolina plays right into that into that style of play. So if Auburn on that given day was able to outplay North Carolina, which they were badly able to outplay them in that game, uh, Auburn was going to be comfortable. This is an interesting matchup with Virginia because Virginia is going to be a team where they're going to face where they will purposely and they will game plan to make things very uncomfortable for Auburn. So the question becomes, uh, it's a, it's just like to me, Gonzaga versus Texas Tech. It's a clash of style and then it's, you know, immovable force versus unbreakable object and like who, you know, who, who, who folds first. And that's going to be a big key in that game. Uh, uh, if you're if you're, if you're kind of if you're sitting here right now, I know you have Virginia winning it all. Forget about what you had before. If you're sitting here today, you you had to pick a team who's going to come out of all of this on uh, on Sunday. Who would you who would you take? Um, I, I'm gonna go. I, I think we'll see Texas Tech versus Virginia, and that'll probably be the the most boring, lowest scoring. National championship we've had since Butler UConn, um, but I think that uh, I think Virginia would win that. I mean, I picked them to win it, so I'm not gonna move off of that uh, prediction. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Um, and as much as I love what Texas Tech has done, I, I something about this Michigan State team, Kendall. We really didn't get to talk about much in the subject, but I think if I had to pick a team today, I would say. It would be Michigan State and Virginia, and the way I, I just thought the way Michigan State grinded out that win against Duke on Sunday was just the quintessential classic Tom Izzo Marsh Madness win. I don't know about you, but to me, like you're playing against a team that's on paper, you know, they have three or four players, you know, at least three players you would think better than your best player. Um, none of your guys are really. Guys who people are looked at as lottery picks or or top first-round picks. And you got to find a way to keep this juggernaut kind of team uh, within a close game. And 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 physically match their intensity and physically match their physicality. And the way they did that, you just get the impression that this Michigan State team is different than the recent teams that we've seen struggle in March. And you get the feeling that this... this, uh, this team with Cassius Winston, that kid's not going to let them lose, you know. So I, I, that's why I'm so excited to see this Texas Tech matchup. I think those are two teams with two players that I think will try their damnedest not to let their team lose. And I, I, I'm going to lean towards Michigan State, and I, I think Michigan State would, would have the advantage over whoever they played in the next round. Um, I thought Virginia has been very lucky to skate by a lot of these games. But to be honest, they deserve the luck because they got terrible luck in recent years. They had terrible luck last year, so I'm happy that I'm happy for for Bennett that they were able to get this far. But I mean, they've they've been extremely lucky with how these last few games have played out. Um, I think that level of competition is going to get extremely high with whoever they will play in a in a national championship game, whether it be Texas Tech or. Um, or uh, Michigan State, two teams that would have been tested against really, really powerhouse teams. The one thing I will say about Virginia is I think they've seen. I can't imagine they're going to see a better performance in Carson Edwards' game, and them getting past that, I think mentally for them will will, will keep them ready. Like 
you know, when you get past something that's extremely difficult. Yeah. A game that you shouldn't have won. Yeah, you get past a game you shouldn't have won, it tends to get easier. Yeah. The competition continues to remain stiff. It's like, well, I mean, we we just beat Carson Edwards and he gave us 40 and played one of the best games of his career at Purdue. Why can't we beat, you know, Jared Harper and Bryce Brown? You know, why can't we get past Cassius Winston or Jared Culver? Um, They're not running into Zion. No. Which maybe we'll talk about, but. Um, and for Virginia, it's pretty much been if they haven't run into Zion, they've won. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. much. If they haven't seen the blue and black on the other side, the blue and white on the other side, they win every game pretty much, except for one. Like that's how dominant they've been. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, so Virginia might just be one of those teams, Kendall, where I don't know if I'll ever fully believe in them. Until they're hoisting, they're cutting down the nets and they're hoisting the, the the trophy. Like, I think they're a team because we've seen them kind of struggle so often in the tournament that I always feel like at some point that style of play is going to catch up and they're going to face a team that's just hitting their threes. But like you said, they kind of faced that team. Like, like that Purdue game was a the game they were supposed to lose. Like they weren't supposed to win a game where. A guy like that went crazy from three, and the game got into the eighties. Like that—that's a game that they were gonna lose whenever that happened, and it didn't. So, makes you think that maybe that game won't happen, and maybe they're the team of destiny because of what they went through last year. I mean, you know, they're motivated to to finish the job, but something about this is a group. I don't know. I I know a lot of people aren't that excited about this Final Four because it doesn't have the big names maybe as before, but I, I, I feel like from a basketball nerd standpoint these are just two very intriguing matchups i think auburn and virginia is a super clash of styles and while i'm not i mean the michigan state in tech tech game may be the first to 50 or 60 i do want to see winston and culver i think down the stretch you're gonna get some great moments so should be a good final four staying on college basketball the big even though they didn't make it to the final four i think the biggest story really from the final four was Duke being eliminated by Michigan State uh, and Cassius Winston and Tom Izzo. Uh, they, they played a very close game there in Washington, D.C. It was down to the wire. Um, but we've seen criticism on R.J. Barrett for, for, for being the guy that drove in to, to try to uh, uh, give them the lead late. Uh, we've seen criticism of Coach K from putting him in that position to, to, to be the guy taking the last shot. Uh do you feel like do you feel like Coach K and RJ are, are is it fair to blame them for Duke's season ending the way it did? Um interesting, interesting. Um I think that Duke's season ending the way it did. I mean, well, first of all, the guy to blame in theory, I wouldn't say blame, but the reason the uh, one of the real reasons they lost, obviously, is I I don't think Cam Reddish was 100%. Um, and not not having him at 100%. And it's tough to say because he said he's had, you know, poor games <laughs> healthy. So, you know, it's tough to really uh, judge. But um, not having Cam Reddish at 100% def- definitely didn't help when you're playing a team like Michigan State. Um, I would say the lack of depth on this Duke team, something that I've talked about all year. You know, I think – when we did our college basketball preview, I think I made – I don't know I don't know if I said it or I, I might have thought it before the year, but, like, I would, if you would have told me, like, Duke getting to the Final Four of the field, I would have picked the field. 
Um, I didn't think they were the best team in the country. And it's not because they didn't. Ha- and look, Zion's better than I thought he would be. Um, I was higher on Zion than I was Barrett coming in, but he's been better than I thought he would be. Um, Barrett hasn't been as good as I thought he would be. But um, I feel like this team was built incorrectly because it relied so much on a few players and didn't have the depth or the outside shooting that do normally it doesn't play that deep, but the the lack of outside shooting was a problem. It's, it's not as if they didn't have the shooters. Cause I feel like they recruited coach K recruited Alice McConnell, <laughs> McConnell, Alice O'Connell to be a shooter. He uh, recruited Jack white, not necessarily, not necessarily to be a shooter, but going into the season, they touted him as the best shooter on the team. And midway through the year, he, he could, could not make like, a shot. I mean, yeah, he, he literally missed, like, 33s in a row. It was yeah, crazy. and it's like, I mean, I, I remember in the preseason, like, he was their marksman. I, like, I don't know what happened. I, a lot of his confidence. Um, and obviously Cam Reddish, they were just like, yeah, since we need shooting, like, you're only going to shoot threes. We don't want you to do anything else. So uh, the, the team was constructed poorly. Um, they didn't have enough outside shooting. So it's going to be tough for them to win a national championship. Unless Zion and Barrett just went super sand like they did against Kentucky. And they have at times this season. Um, but it's tough to do that for six straight games. They did it a couple times this, during the tournament. But um, in that sense, I blame Coach K for just the construction of this team. Uh, the coaching, it is what it is. I feel like there was only so much he could have done with this roster. Uh, I think People overrated this team more than I think it was. He under under performed with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like people, people are giving Calipari also a lot of a lot of a lot of flack for losing. I think Calipari did a much better coaching job than Coach K did. Yeah, a lot of his perspective. I mean, to me, I, I agree. I, I think Calipari took a team. I think to me, Kentucky met expectations. Like I, I thought they were. A fringe elite A team. I thought they were highly overrated to start the season yeah, at number two. Yeah, and they were. Year, I was like, this could be one of his uh, worst teams. Right. And then, so I thought this was a fringe elite A team. To me, this is like maybe a Sweet 16 team. And for him to get them to the elite eight, I feel like, okay, well. Almost like, I mean, basically, they, <laughs> they were, you know, a couple possessions away from a final four. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could argue, well, that's the point with him is that he gets his team close and he doesn't seem to be able to navigate them through. And. Fair is fair. I, I I can't really argue against that. And I give him, yeah, like th- I give him those criticisms when he has like, you know, like Demarcus Cousins and John Wall. Sure, but he doesn't. He didn't have those guys this year. Yeah, he had, you know, Tyler Hero and PJ Washington as his best players, and he still got to the Elite Eight. Coach yeah. K had Zion and RJ Barrett also got to the Elite Eight. I I think Coach K is getting a little bit too much heat. Because I don't think his team's deep at all, and I don't think it's constructed enough, to, well enough to win a national championship. But um, I am a little surprised at how steadfast the 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 heat from Coach K has been. Uh, I've been one who has said that people have been scared to shoot arrows at him, and it doesn't seem they've been very afraid. Well, you want to know why? EJ. Why is this? Tell me. I'm very curious. I feel like it's because the Duke team this year was so likable. Mm. Zion in particular was so likable that you have to find someone to blame if Duke lost. It's not going to be Zion. 
you could blame R.J. Uh, RJ Barrett, but he's an 18, 19-year-old kid. Dude. You're, not, you're not, really not going to blame R.J. Barrett. And people seem more woke about realizing these are 18-year-old kids not paying. Yeah, exactly. So that won't happen as much as maybe it has in the past. And Zion, I mean, he's been arguably the perfect college basketball player. I mean, you could blame him, but you look like an idiot. It's so you're gonna, it's gonna, the flack is gonna go on Coach K, whether or not it's warranted or not. It's gonna go on Coach K. It has to. Yeah, I, 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 I get that. It's still, it's but considering what I've seen about Coach K and what I've seen hit the coverage of Coach K, it, I've just been a little surprised that people have been more inclined to. Like, yeah, what they've done. I, I mean, I, I think that. Remember when Duke lost last year? Yeah. Who was getting the blame? In part Grace, of Coach Grayson K, Allen, but Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen. Yeah. Because he's that very unlikable. Team, and that player is not like. Yeah, he's well. very unlikable. <laughs> and and he's older. You know, yeah. He's a senior. So like, yeah, you're an adult. Like you're. <laughs> right. Like you can get the blame, but yeah, you're not. No one's gonna blame Barrett or Zion. You know, in that situation, it, it was on Coach K, and. Um, at the end of the day, he like I said, he constructed his roster the way he did. Yeah, I mean, look, I feel like I think that he made a poor decision. Look, R.J. Barrett, most teams would be totally fine with him being the guy going to the lane, trying to get a bucket going left. I think 99% of the teams in college basketball will be perfectly fine with that shot. But when you have Zion Williamson, it is strange that the play that you drew up, which was basically gonna constitute a left a left handed drive to the left side of the basket. Why you would think that RJ, who's strong but still six seven two hundred pounds maybe, and you wouldn't take the six seven two hundred eighty five pound guy who jumps over people and have him do that same move, unless he thought that RJ would be better better suited at the free throw line. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that neither guy was really great suited for that. So that seemed to be a weird decision. Um, some people have pointed arrows at how they play in terms of their sets. They they don't run the most complicated kind of offense. They run a lot more to me like NBA style stuff. Could they have maybe been a little more uh, helpful had they run more of a real set offense? Like you know, I have the luxury of watching Gonzaga play, and you could see uh, while it did not look very pretty against Texas Tech, especially in the second half, typically. You see the way they run an offensive system and how it, it generates easy shots. It, I, I always felt like I do feel like Coach K's system doesn't necessarily generate the easiest shots, but at the same time, when you're playing it with players that talented, it is, it is a little bit of a double-edged sword because sometimes just do you want these guys who who we kind of all kind of agree can't I don't want to say can't play, but clearly the ball's in their hand more than. And RJ or Zion or Cam, they're in much more trouble. So it, it becomes a little difficult. I do feel like the one the one thing about this new team that I think bothered me all season, and I said it earlier in the year, and you watched them up until their last game, and I still feel this way. I, I don't know if I ever got what the identity of this team was. You know? Like right. I feel like great teams, you know you know their identity. Like, um, like Villanova won the championship last year, I knew what their identity was. Their identity was defense. Their identity was uh, a dribble drive at the point guard position. Their identity was um, was a lot of pin down stuff for 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 bridges. Like I knew what they were trying to do. I knew how they were trying to win games. Uh, 
I feel like a lot of these teams are left in the field. I know their identity. I know what Virginia's trying to do. I know what Michigan State's trying to do. I know what Auburn's trying to do, and I know what Texas Tech's trying to do. Now, their level of capability or their level of execution depends on the talent and depends on how they well they play on a given night. They don't have necessarily the same talent Duke has on the high-end level. But with Duke, I I'd never got and I I never knew what their identity was. I, you could may, I can maybe say they were really decent to solid. They were a solid half court defensive team, and they were a team that really wanted to force turnovers if they could and runouts. After that, offensively, I can't. I don't know. I cannot give you what their identity was offensively. I, I don't know. It was they played kind of random basketball a lot. They did run sets, but the sets, the stuff they got out of it was a lot of just like pick and roll, a lot of just one on one, and they were, like. That I think I think if you don't have an identity come March, sometimes that could bite you. Even if you won a lot of games, because you don't know what to, you don't have something to go by, back to. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're playing in those tight nip and tuck kind of games, teams that have an identity know what they can fall back on. Duke, I don't know if they ever really knew that. So we saw at the end of the game their offense was random offense because that's what they fell back on. That's what they've been doing all year. When they played well, their offense has been all right. Well. We ain't running out. Then it's got to be kind of our random RG, our random Zion, and letting them go. And they're so good that a lot of times they could work. But when you're playing as a team like Michigan State, who hasn't well scouted, who's well coached, it doesn't work as easy. So I think that that was one of the things that um that was that was concerning for me. That I think probably did cost me a little bit this past weekend. The, a lot of conversation Kendall's been about Zion Williamson standing as a Dukey now that he's going to be no longer a Dukey. Within a matter of, I would say, days, I would assume he's going to announce he's entering the NBA draft. Do, do you think there's any, he has any credible case to being considered the greatest Duke player of all time? I, I don't think he has any, but people are trying to make that case. <laughs> well, that no, that would be outrageous. But um, do you even feel like he should get his jersey retired? Oh, that's, that's a good question. That's probably a better question, honestly, because we both agree that first question is very outrageous. Yeah. Um, I I did read that no Duke player that's played less than three years has ever gotten their jersey retired. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Duke played one year. It's hard. I'm leaning to be honest. I'm. Camp I, of he, he has to get his jersey retired. I'm leaning towards yes. I, you can't. The only way. Well, I'll let you give your point first. Well, I, I'm leaning towards yes, because for whatever reason, when I think of like Jersey retirement, like your impact beyond wins and losses matters, and and even how long you played matters to me. Like it goes beyond that. It's it's like a whole different stratosphere than like ranking him amongst the greatest Dukies. When you think of Jersey retired, I think of like almost like when we talk about Mount Rushmore, like impact and and what they did for the program, legacy, and what Zion is going to be one of the more unforgettable Duke players ever step foot in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Uh, I feel like if anyone else wears Zion's number one, I'm gonna keep thinking that he guys wearing Zion's number. Like to me, that's how I think about it too. It's like. If people will go to Duke. They're gonna if they wear number one. We know why they wearing number one now. Like they're wearing it because of Zion. And to me, if that if they doing that, that means you gotta retire the guy's number. He was too great. His impact on the, on the team was too great. His impact on the program was too great. And I think while I think in terms of talking about the greatest Dukey, 
you know, there should be set rules and set guidelines. I think when we're talking about jersey retirements, I think we got to change with the times. Like, we're never going to retire anybody's jersey at, at the way we're set right now. With everybody going one and done. And, you know, if we're going to decide, oh, if we only did one year, sorry, you're automatically disqualified. It's like, well, okay, well, what about the guys that really accomplished great things in their one year? Even if it was just individual. Um, I believe Carmelo Anthony's number is retired at uh, oh, Syracuse. Yeah. Like, and I know he won a championship, but I mean, if you got to the Final Four, would we still not retire his number? Like, Anthony Davis has his retired. Yeah, I mean, I think there are certain guys where it's like, yeah, like this guy was so special, and like when you think of this program, you're gonna think of these people that I have no problem with someone like Zion getting his number retired. So I would lean, to, I would understand if they didn't do it, but I would lean towards yes, especially when, again when I think about the money he brought to the school and stuff. It's like, yeah, the least you could do. Is retired a guy's jersey? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's tough. I think at most programs, I would be like, yeah, Zion has to get his number, his number retired. Um, you know, the national championship standard at Duke, I think, hurts him. The fact that they didn't get to a Final Four in his one year. Um, and my thing is, like, one, I mean, you know who else wore number one at, at Duke? Uh, ooh, okay. Um, another guy, one and done, NBA superstar. His number is not retired. Now, he only played nine games. Yeah. But, like, I have a, I have a huge problem in general with, I've talked about this before in college basketball, where we retire guys' numbers based off of what they did in the NBA. And, like, you know... Yeah, James Harden getting his number retired yeah, at Arizona State. At Arizona State. Like, he did two years, like, maybe made an NCAA tournament. Yeah, was he even an All-American? Was he even an All-American? Like, I don't know. Yeah, you know, he's an All-Pac-12 player, but, or Pac-10 player, but, like, come on. His number's not retired if he's a bust. You know, Chris Paul, probably the same thing. Like, I'm not a huge fan of that. Um... If Zion, but in this case, like, I do think Zion's NBA prospects would have to play a role in this. Like, if Zion co- goes on to be, like, a top three or four player in the league, like, he was an all-star in, like, three years or two years, like, I would certainly understand, like, yeah, his impact on the program will eventually go beyond basketball. And his impact on the school will go beyond basketball if he gets to that level. Um, but for now, like... I mean, dude didn't win a national championship. He's only there for one year. Uh, there are a lot of Duke players that have been one and done players that have been great players. Been players. I mean, Kyrie Irving is the perfect example of a guy that always gives back to Duke in a million ways. Always reps Duke, even though he was there for like two minutes, and his number is not retired. If that's the case. I don't know. And then also my other argument would be, I mean, if, if we're retiring Zion, why not Barrett? Cause theory. Barrett wasn't as good or as impactful on the legacy of the program as Zion was. I mean, Barrett, Barrett's, I mean, Barrett's a great player in his own right. He also is. first team All-American, was a player of the year. I mean, to me, if you retire Barrett, I mean, you really got to open the floodgates at Duke. I don't think they're going to do that. Right. I mean, I, now, it wouldn't shock me if they did it because I, I, K loves Barrett. So I think that if there's anything oh, that I think yeah. was established this year, that was very established. Uh, 
So I think that I mean I could see him doing it for like part of it being like, Oh, I love this kid and like I'm not gonna just like do Zion and not RJ. I could see him doing that, but I don't think it'd be warranted. RJ was a great talent, but Duke has had a lot of great talents. I mean, I would have to look up the players that have been in the program that don't have their jersey retired. But I mean, Zelton Grant have his jersey retired. I, I I don't I don't know I don't know how you would give RJ Barrett his jersey and not Elton Brand. Elton Brand went to the Final Four. Well, for me, it's like I, I'm not saying I would never give RJ Barrett a retired jersey. I'm not even arguing. I'm arguing if you're giving Zion one. I don't know if Zion's that much farther off of RJ Barrett. Yeah, he is. The hype is, but he is production wise. No, like, I, what they've done for the program isn't that much different. No, I disagree with that. No, Zion brought more eyeballs to Duke than Duke has had in a very long time. I I can't agree that they're the same. Like if 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 Zion wasn't there, we're not even thinking. Of, we're not even having this conversation about RJ Barrett. We're only having this conversation about RJ Barrett because of Zion. If RJ Barrett wasn't there, we'd still be having this conversation about Zion. He's that transcendent. Possibly. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about uh. Wofford uh, School in South Carolina. This is Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is where uh, Zion Williamson's from. Yeah. And they were the first school to offer Zion. And, you know, I remember, like, you know, a year or two ago, like, a running joke, like, you know, Zion should go to, he should go to Wofford <laughs> because, you know, why that not? That would have been quite the scene, seeing but, them shooters and Zion. But, uh, you know, if you think about it, that would have been a... Zion gone to Wofford. <laughs> they they would have be... gone to the Final Four. Yeah, they, they would have been more equipped. They would have been better equipped probably in terms of like the supporting cast that he needed than the guys he had at Duke. Not that they were as talented, but they had shooters around him, guys who were good passers. <laughs> like, I mean, that, that, would have, yeah. that would have been a perfect fit. <laughs> that would have been a perfect fit. So, you know, sometimes the grass isn't greener uh, in, in the major conferences. Um. Uh, for clarification, James Harden did make uh, the All American team. He was a first team All American, which I did not remember. Um, it did not feel like yeah, he was I probably should that realize that he was number three pick in the draft. But. I guess, but sometimes that don't matter. I mean, yeah, I guys. Mean, who, how good was his team? They, were they like they made they the, were a tournament team? They made it to the second round of the tournament. They were a six seed. Seventeen. They were a six seed. Six seed, yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember I mean, them being that good. To be honest, I don't remember them being that good. But I guess the, I mean, I, the numbers don't lie. Uh, you have I, to be really good, though, to be a first-team All-American on this team. Yeah, I mean, you have to be carrying them, which he was. Uh, and then for other clarification, the players at Duke as of 2015, I don't know, I don't think they've retired any more numbers since then. To have their jerseys retired are Shane Battier, Johnny Dawkins, Danny Ferry, Mike Jeminski, Dick Grote, who I've never heard of. He played in the 50s. Uh, Art Heyman, another guy from the 50s. Grant Hill, Bobby Hurley, Christian Leitner. J.J. Reddick, Jeff Mullins, Jason Williams, and Sheldon Williams. Of the I can't speak on a lot of them old dudes, but of those other guys, I mean, to me, Sheldon Williams got his number retired, and Zion needs to get his number retired. That's the bar. If I'm looking at the bar of these guys, I'm like, like who's the bar where I'm like, yeah, no, like Zion is definitely in that class. I know Sheldon... I guess Sheldon. Did he win that championship? I don't know if he won in that championship, but he definitely no, won. He did? No. No, right? 
Uh, well, him and JJ Reddick, they neither one of them won. No, they've been in the Final Four, but not won the championship. I, I, I'm fine with, I'm fine with him getting his number. Yeah, I mean, are we going to do Grayson Allen, Allen? John Shire? Those guys won a championship. Um, someone could make the case to me that Shire deserves it. I'm not giving it to Grayson Allen. Someone, someone could sell me on Shire. I don't know about. I can't. You can't tell me the other guy. Tyus Jones. No. You know, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like winning is important. This winning is why. Is this is why. Yo, next week I gotta get Maddie on the show, man. Maddie Hartman. Shout out to Maddie, um, former Bleacher uh, Bleacher Report social team work member. Uh, she's the biggest Dookie I know, besides Shamari, who's a Duke fan, um, but more casual. Uh, I would love to get her take on this, and perhaps maybe next week I'll find a good way to get her on the show, or at least call her. To talk about this, because I would love to know what Duke fans think of this. Someone who's followed the team for a long time, not someone who jumped on the bandwagon this year. It is gonna be funny to see all these people who pretend to be Duke fans this year, then act like they never were Duke fans and rooting for Zion this season when next year oh, happens yeah. and like they yeah, don't have anybody. Wait, wait cares till next about. year when they're gonna be like, oh yeah, Vernon Carey. Who's Vernon Carey? Superstar. It's like, all right, sure. You know, it's gonna be mad awkward. Um, the, um, real quick, how do you feel about uh, these guys' draft prospects? Um, to me, Zion is a clear-cut number one. He's, I just, it's just think he's clear as day, and that's not a slight on Morant and Barrett. I just it. feel like it's, it's just too risky. Now. Yeah, I think you'd be insane to pick someone else, and you may be you may be insanely smart. Like it may work out. I'm not going to be the guy to take that chance. Just like I felt like GMs. Even though Odin was the wrong decision, I feel like I can't blame a GM for taking Odin. I feel even more strongly about this. It's like if you didn't take him and like the other like Morano Barrett turned out to be like better fits for the NBA, then God bless you. It's a great foresight on your part, but like I ain't gonna be the one to make that decision. You right. know, regardless of what I think of what I saw from Morant. Um so he's number one. I think Barrett is top three. I saw Woj made the case that he he was like he Barrett, hasn't hurt his stock at all is what he said. Yeah, he said yeah, he said he's going no lower than three, and I, I'm gonna make a bold prediction that don't be surprised if he does go lower than three. Who would who would jump him besides Morant? Four or five. Um, I think Jared Culver. We'll see what happens in the final four, but I think Culver could jump him. Culver's the only guy I think that would have any remote chance. Um, Unless you can find me someone else, but I, to me, he's the only guy I would, I would even think about that could. That's the guy in. that that comes to mind the the most. Sometimes it's gonna come down to team fit, also. Like, if if a team really needed a point guard, could they sell themselves on Darius Garland? I mean, like Phoenix, for example. Like Phoenix really fell. Or like they had, they had a really bad you know, night in draft. They're like we don't, we don't really need, really, really don't want this guy. I mean, Phoenix is an interesting situation because they're so bad at point guard that like they, 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 need, they have no use. If for they don't guard. do it now, they gotta hope that the Nets don't resign D'Angelo Russell because he's their only shot to really get probably a point guard without giving up Aiden or 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 uh, or, or Booker. So Phoenix is the the crazy outlier where okay, if they were at three and. The team at two wanted Morant. 
I, maybe maybe I see, we probably trade down. Yeah, I can see them trading down. Maybe, oh yeah, so which would still leave him at three. But maybe and the other guy I, I would I would watch out for real quick is uh, DeAndre Hunter also. And I'm Bo not Bo crazy Bo about I'm not crazy about Hunter. Bo Bowl is intriguing. I'm not crazy about Hunter. Um, neither am I. But I, uh, if you drafted him over RJ Barrett, I mean, that you got a lot of guts to me. You know, no disrespect to the kid. I think he. Um, is really he's really strong, he's really aggressive, he's got decent skills, but I I don't know I I don't see a guy who's a star player, and if I'm drafting in the top three. I'm going for a guy who I think is could be a star. So I also this might sound crazy, but I won't be shocked if some team says I like Reddish better than Barrett. That would be shocking to me. That would be shocking to me. I tell you, look to me, Cam Reddish Kendall is a guy. In a perfect world, that guy would do another year. In a perfect yeah. world, like to me, or in the nineteen nineties, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, or just yeah, just twenty years ago. That guy, there's so to me, Kendall. I'm sorry, like, and I'm not someone to really want to criticize guys who are injured or hurt, but I did find that kind of funny how before the game, even the coach doesn't realize he's dealing with the knee thing and he can't go. Yo, when your team needs you the yo, most, and I saw a, someone made a joke. I don't, I don't even. I don't know if they were joking, but some guy. He. I don't know if he was legit. He was a joke, but like he, I think it was also a legitimate question. He was like, "Has Cambridge already signed on Clutch Sports?" Because <laughs> they, they, like, there was a, holding out a game. There was a video already. last year of LeBron with TMZ where LeBron and Rich Paul were meeting with Cam Reddish when he was in high school. So we all know at some point he's going to sign with Clutch Sports, but. The fact that, like, you know, he, he comes up with this kind of, I wouldn't say phantom injury, but this random injury, right, you know, right before the the biggest game of the season, you know, the question has to be asked. And, like, that's the kind of thing where that's not the training staff coming over and saying, oh, you got to sit out. To me, that's like you came to them with an injury. You made it clear you couldn't go. And sometimes you just can't. And it could have been a freak thing. I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like it, it absolutely was something nefarious, but. Man, for a guy who has questions about toughness, who has questions about um, will, that was if if it was unfortunate, if it was really something that he couldn't go that day, you know, Coach K saying he may be dealing with a jumper's knee situation, then that's incredibly unfortunate, incre- incredibly coincidental for him, and that's possible. But that did raise eyebrow for me a little bit. Um, if I talked to him or knew him, I would like to ask him more about that. To me, and. To, and just this whole season, uh, I got to give a shout out to Steve A. Smith. I agree with him 100%. He's the only guy on Duke to me out of the three that got no better. Cram Rodgers was the same dude I saw from day one and the same dude by the time they ended the season. But guy I, who I'm, just, not, I'm not putting, guy putting who, like a guy who could do one or two good moves. 80% of that on Coach And I'm not... And I'm not even, like, blaming Coach K saying, like, Coach K did an awful job. But part of it's on camera in the sense that he shouldn't have went to Duke. He should not have gone there. But um, I think I'm just saying I could see an NBA team saying this dude was in an awful situation. You know what this could remind me of? 2015. There was – because I'm trying to think of – I saw someone ask the question – when was the last time we saw a guy had a terrible one and done season that turned into a good NBA player? That's a good question. And the only time 
there was there was one guy. I mean, Miles Turner was a little underwhelming at Texas, but he wasn't terrible. Um, the one time one guy really underwhelmed was in 2015. Jalen Brown went to Cal, mm. and he wasn't terrible. Like he was, he's a good player, just like Cam Reddish is a terrible player, but. Um, awful situation for Jalen Brown. Came in as the number two player in the country behind Ben Simmons. Most people, by the time the draft came around, had him around eight or nine. But Danny Ainge stuck to his preseason evaluation of Jalen Brown, reached and drafted him all the way at three. And Brown has pretty much been closer to the guy he was in high school with the Celtics than the guy he was at Cal. I think a team would – I wouldn't be shocked. I'm not saying it will happen. Reddish could fall all the way down to eight or nine. But it may take a crazy GM like Danny Ainge to say, you know what, Reddish was in an awful situation, but he may be a better fit for the NBA than uh, R.J. Barrett. The Jalen Brown comparison is interesting because both guys have dealt with uh, do they want to play this game at a high level questions. I feel like with Brown, it was more about other interests than with Reddish, where it's just like you watch him play and you wonder sometimes does he he looks like he, he looks like he'd rather be anywhere else but on the court right now, and that's that's a little scary. But Brown is a comparison from that standpoint that a guy can rise up beyond what we saw from him in his college season and show the talent that he had. I just feel like Reddish to me is just too inconsistent. You know, I, I feel like he's a guy that still needs to learn how to take over games. He still needs to learn how to make his impact felt in games. And he didn't learn that at Duke. And he could go to the NBA and he could still end up being a really good player because the physical tools and talent is there. But I, I think it hurt him that he didn't really get a lot of that experience. And I think that if he stayed a year at Duke, because Duke doesn't look like a team that's going to have a player come in that's going to be better than him. He could come in and be the guy and be the be the go-to alpha dog. And I think he end up helping his draft stock and maybe being a guy looked at as the number one pick in the draft next year because the talent is there. If he had a great year next year, he could absolutely put himself in that position. Whereas now, I, I, I'm, it's hard, I'm not going to be the one to tell a guy, hey, don't turn down guaranteed $20 million, which is pretty much guaranteed to every rookie drafted in the top five or six. But I, I do look at what he's... Uh, looking at and, and would wonder if he would be better suited going Look, back. Once we get RJ, once we get Cam Reddish in the gym, and he's shooting threes from thirty feet away, and doing the pro moves that we know he could do, and showing off his athleticism, somebody's going to be like, "Yeah, he's just in a bad situation." Because we know he can shoot, and we know he's athletic, and we know he has a handle. So, yeah. I th- I think whoever I think whoever gets him don't expect him to really like be. I think he's a guy that's gonna need like a year of development. Like I, I you know I think he's a guy that you almost yeah. you almost red shirt and and you have him learn you work you work him out you get him ready and then I think maybe you hope his sophomore year in the NBA he really did. I think it'll be similar to play. I think his pre draft be similar to what we saw from Kevin Knox last year where. You know people kind of threw away what happened at Kentucky like you know what yeah just. See, see the guy's handle. Yeah, he's he's gonna be a yeah he's gonna be a workout warrior. Whether or not it'll translate to the league or not is a whole other conversation. But uh, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if by June his stock rises again because people get him in a workout and they see how athletic he is, his jump shot, know. 
Like, they're going to see, like, yo, this guy is incredible. Why didn't he do this at Duke? And people will be intrigued. People can criticize Reddish, but they know he's in a bad situation. So, like, yeah. that'll get brought up. That'll that'll always be in the conversations. You, he just got stuck behind two guys. But trust me, he's a great player. Whether or not it's true or not, I may be the one to bring it up. I mean, I think it's I think it's definitely a, a factual statement. Um, whether or not it'll affect his NBA career, we'll find out. Um, so some more serious news this week. Uh, Chris Asporzingis is locked in a, uh, a sexual assault scandal. He uh, had some some kind of interaction with a woman on the night that alleged interaction with a woman that that that. Um, happened on the night that he apparently tore his ACL with the Knicks. Um, the woman has been going back and forth with his team and the Knicks trying to get him to pay her $68,000 to pay off their tuition of her brother's tuition that Chris has allegedly agreed to do after this alleged rape happened in which he got physical. There are some very disturbing details regarding what he may have been saying to this woman while they were involved in the situation um chris Stapps and his team have painted the situation as more of a extortionate situation and uh there are bizarre details on both sides and i hate to be the guy that's a both sides guy i hate that but just calling it like it is there are very disturbing details from both sides that does cast shadows on both sides about what exactly happened you have this woman presenting a document uh, that Chris Stapps allegedly signed that has Chris Stapps' name misspelled. Um, you have the idea that this woman may have pictures of, of the the physical assault that she took on, from her face and her head from Chris Stapps uh, being violent with her. So, it, and mixed with all that, you have the Knicks and Dallas Mavericks playing kind of this game of tag where they're both trying to basically say, no, it was you who didn't do your own work, not us. You know, uh, the Knicks making it very clear to me to Woj that they told Dallas what Chris Stapp's deal was. Dallas doing damage control. I say damage control only to say that they're responding. I don't know if they're lying. I'm just saying that clearly they didn't like the idea that they knew that Chris Stapps may have been accused of rape and they traded for him anyway. So in that damage control saying that they were not told that they were uh, that a rape was involved. They only told that he was being extorted for money, which again raises questions as to well, if you knew he was being extorted, why didn't you explore that or did you explore that? Um, Mark Cuban, I thought had a terrible, terrible uh, showing in his first public comments about the situation, asking the media to use common sense. He was very dismissive uh, for someone who's been linked with. His organization has been linked with terrible sexual harassment situations in the workplace. The dismissive attitude he showed uh, yesterday, I thought, was outrageous. Or maybe today, I don't know when it was. Um, so, can I, I guess, is where do you stand with kind of all of this? How do you, it's hard to predict how this is going to play out, but just what were your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I don't really have much uh, comment on, uh, you know, Porzingis and whatever interaction may or may not have happened. But um, with with the the Mavs and the Knicks, uh, I, I feel like that is a situation where you have to ask – yeah, there are a lot of questions you have to ask. Um, for me, the first one is 
is I think the first obvious question for me is, well, what you mentioned. <laughs> Did the Mavs know about this? I, I mean, the Knicks are making clear that we told them about something. The Mavs are saying, yeah, you told us about an extortion, but you didn't. You never told us about anything about rape. Well, you know, I, I just feel like you have to read between the lines if you're the Mavericks. I that sounds like they if they didn't know anything about this, like in any detail, that means I feel like they didn't want to know. I think they might have they, for whatever reason had a mindset of like, oh, we're, it must not be that bad. We haven't heard about it or whatever. And because if you, if don't if if the Knicks say, oh, by the way, <laughs> someone's trying to uh, extort KP. Uh, a woman is trying to extort KP out of $69,000, $68,000. If I'm the Mavericks, I'm going to be like, oh, well, a woman's trying. I mean, <laughs> I guess in theory, like, it doesn't have to be any type of rape allegation. You know, we saw with Rick Pitino, like, wasn't a rape involved, and he was uh, being extorted. Uh, so I guess in theory, like the, they could have ex- assumed it was something a little less nefarious, but um, still, it's absolutely their job to do the research on what was happening uh, in that situation. Um, the other question that I would have is, well, did this push the Knicks to do this trade? Uh, and if you're a Knicks fan, that's if the answer is yes, that this pushed the Knicks to do the trade, that's both good news and bad news. Because I feel like it's good news because, well, I mean, we didn't know this at the time, and they got bashed, but had we known this, it would have made a lot more sense, and the trade would have looked a lot less maybe uh, one-sided and um, bizarre. And it makes the it makes makes it makes the Knicks look more confident, uh, competent, and you know, uh, what's the word, proactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think on the flip side, it's a it's a bad it's bad news because the running theory was that they made this deal because they had the assumption that they were getting Durant and Kyrie, mm. and that's not to say that's still not the case. They could they could. They could have been working on both assumptions, or they yeah. could have been working on both cases, but it it does make it less likely, or it does open up the possibility that that wasn't even a thing, or that they were still just hoping that those guys come, but that the primary reason, or the primary unspoken reason about moving KP was this, as opposed to the Durant-Kyrie uh, potential, or the, or the free agency potential, no matter who it is. So that um, that is a is a negative because you feel like this probably does lessen like for me I'm not a Knicks fan so I don't really care but mm-hmm. just as a basketball fan it does lessen my confidence that slightly not a huge deal but it lessens my confidence that the Knicks would get Durant um, or at least two max guys but uh, I think it does make more sense why they would have traded them considering they didn't know about this beforehand. Yeah, I think that um, on the Knicks Mavs tip, the uh, to me, and I said it, you know, off air um, earlier this weekend. Like to me, like 
the Mavs, as a Knicks fan, the Mavs trying to paint the Knicks as perhaps maybe being underhanded in their dealings. I don't know who that really hurts in terms of, I don't think it hurts the Knicks. Like, to me, if they're telling me the Knicks didn't, weren't completely fully forthcoming with Chris Stapp's issues, I don't really care. I don't know if the fans of the NBA really are going to care about that. To me, um, as a fan, I'm just happy that Porzingis and his issues are no longer the Knicks, Knicks issues. So, however, by any means necessary to get him out, I don't really care. I don't know if the fans will care. I don't think the league really has uh, has a mandate to kind of penalize the Knicks or go after the Knicks on this if they the Knicks did have contact with the league and the league did have contact with Porzingis' people about this. That, to me, tells me that Dallas could have found out, even outside the Knicks, what exactly Chris Stapp's deal was when they heard that he had some kind of extortion situation. If the league knew, then they could have easily talked to the league about, well, what is the situation with him? Because we're close to making the deal. And you have to go through the league to get the deal approved. So that those steps seem to be common sense steps that could be made that either weren't made because they were negligent or they weren't made because, as you said, they didn't want to know. And uh, I will leave that to you guys to speculate on why that is. I don't honestly know. I'm not going to speculate. But they, they, to me, those are the only two options there. Um, in regards to uh, Chris Stapp's situation, obviously, it, it's just, you know, I agree with you. I, I don't really want to comment on uh, what happened. I, I You know, there needs to be a full investigation into it. It does seem like there will be. A full investigation into it and we'll see how things play out um but it does kind of shed an interesting light on his uh it seemed like overnight desperate desire to leave new york city and we hear that this was happening and that obviously he's now dealing with the new york criminal justice system you know you never know if this is a situation where maybe they're uh if maybe they weren't, you know, they weren't mutually exclusive, but it does kind of raise an eyebrow when you talk about all the stuff he mentioned, or at least the the rumors you hear about him not liking the Knicks culture and the direction of the team. All that kind of casts a shadow on that stuff when I hear you have a rape allegation that you're trying to get out of. That, that to me, I'm going to look at all those comments and all those reports a different way. So that will be interesting how that all, all ends up playing out. Uh, I do think I do agree, Kendall, that um, I do now question the Knicks' stance and whether or not they sh- are sure they're going to get those top guys. Um, it doesn't mean they're not, but I do feel like okay, if we're going to give the Knicks credit for seeing the forest through the trees and and enlightening enlightening uh, and give them the 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 benefit of the doubt that they they saw this coming and wanted to get him out which would be smart if that was the case that would be very smart um then i have to say okay well our hope and our 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 our, our hope that they it was because they were getting rid of him because they knew they had other guys coming and they, they wanted to rebuild in a different way well that that creates a whole nother situation and now the july frequency becomes a lot more uh intense but um, it's going to be a bumpy ride regardless, so we'll see how that all shakes out in the end. Kind of, let's quickly go through Flames and Trash. I'll go first. Uh, my Flames this week, Kendall, are the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, I hate to say that because I'm a Mets fan who hates the Philadelphia Phillies, 
with every fiber of my being. But I got to give credit where credit is due. Philly is lit right now. Um, obviously, we saw their uh, their 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 new new look roster debut this past week uh, on opening day, and they did it by just pounding the Braves in the three games they played against them. They're now starting their series in Washington against uh, Bryce Harper's old team, the Nationals. He was booed merciful, merciful, not mercifully. Uh, he, was, he was booed endlessly uh, in those game in that first game. But uh, they are on their way, and this uh, we recorded show on Tuesday night to get in another big win. So they're starting off four and zero. I picked the Phillies to win this division begrudgingly because I, I again I really don't like this team, but it, it's hard to to not look at their lineup and see that this is a team that's going to be here probably all season. You know, injuries can happen, things can fall apart, but at the same this kind of going in Philly. I mean, when you look at their lineup and you see Michael Franco is their eighth hitter. And the kind of damage he can do as an eighth hitter. I mean, they have an American League style lineup in the National League. McCutcheon, Segura, Harper, Hoskins, Real Muto, Herrera, Hernandez, Franco. I mean, they don't have any weaknesses. They're an extremely dangerous team. Uh, and I think that the teams in L East are going to be in for a tough ride trying to trying to hang with this Phillies team. So they're my flames this week. And then my trash this week, Kendall, I'm going with LA Dodger fans. Uh, and I hate to do this, and I don't want to put all LA Dodger fans. I want to talk. I want to maybe make it clear and say rowdy LA Dodger fans, because they really put, I thought, a, a definitely no pun intended, uh, a black eye on the situation uh, on their kind of opening weekend home opener with the various fights that happened. One guy was is, was on put on life support because of a fight that broke out in the parking lot. There's this really embarrassing video of looks like fans in uh, in the bleachers and out in the outfield you're talking about women and and and, and children nearby women throwing down in, in in a vicious manner i'm talking about it looked like i don't know if you saw that video kendall it looked like there was at least eight or nine people it was a brawl nah. it was an absolute kendall it was an absolute brawl in the in the stands in dodger stadium during the game and what's troublesome to me is the response I kept seeing on social media is, well, this is just what we start and expect to expect to see at Dodger Stadium. I'm sorry, L.A. You got to be better than that. You, this should not be what you just expect to see at Dodger Stadium now. Dodger Stadium is one of the most uh, 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 storied baseball venues we have in America. And to see the kind of thuggery that we're seeing in the bleachers, in the parking lot where you got... You know, of course, you kind of you remember the, the gentleman that was a, the giant fan that was that was you know permanently yeah. paralyzed for just going to a baseball game, not institute, not in instigating a fight though. That wouldn't even have even justified what happened. Um, him being paralyzed for the rest of his life because he went to see a baseball game at Dodger Stadium. Another guy this weekend uh, on life support because he went to a Dodger game and got into a fight. Viral video on social media of fans brawling at Dodger Stadium. You guys got to get your act together. This is not a good look. It's not. Uh, it's unbecoming of LA. It's unbecoming of the Dodger organization. Y'all got to do better. So for now, sorry Dodger fans, but you guys are trash. Kendall, who hit your flames and trash this week? Flames. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to uh, Nashville, Tennessee, um, and Vanderbilt. They just fired uh, Bryce Drew last week. I believe I talked about it uh, in my Kendall's court, but. Um, looks like they are going to hire 
former NBA All Star. Yep. Did Jerry say that? Yeah, yep. I think he made. I think he made. Might have made one, but that still counts. <laughs> still counts, baby. Former NBA All Star Jerry Stackhouse, uh, um, who's currently a, an assistant for the Memphis Grizzlies. He uh, coached the Raptors D League team, the G League team, Raptor nine hundred five, I believe, last year, uh, and has had you know recent uh, success or recent experience coaching in the league. Uh, on the assistant level, very interesting move uh, to hire someone like Jerry Stackhouse. Um, we've seen a wave—I wouldn't say a wave—we've seen more recently guys with NBA backgrounds getting hired in college. Uh, obviously, you know Penny Hardaway being the most high-profile. You know, along with Patrick Ewing, recently we saw uh, Chris Mullen not too long ago. And Jerry Stackhouse is the latest. He has no real ties to Nashville or Vanderbilt, but obviously he was a great player in North Carolina. Um, but I think what's, what makes this hire interesting is why I give it – it's not like – it's not an A-plus hire, but it's certainly interesting. Jerry Stackhouse also runs one of the best AAU programs in North Carolina, Stackhouse Elite, Elite which uh, Brandon Ingram – played for when he was coming out of uh, high school. So um does make you wonder if Jerry Sackhouse were to ever, uh, if he does do well at Vanderbilt, which I think he will, um, will he be, I, is, is, he, is he trying to set himself up to be the heir apparent to Roy Williams? Mm. North Carolina. Because that's the angle that I imagine. Because why, the question is why would you, if you're an NBA guy that's, Interviewed for NBA jobs. And You're getting close. Getting close. I mean, you know, you. I think they won a. I think you won a G League championship last year. You're an assistant. And you're a top assistant in the NBA. Like, why would you go back to college or go to college when you have no college experience? Roy Williams getting at that age. He is. Yeah. We, and there's no logical successor right now. Yeah, that's a good point. And we talked about that off air when you were here a <laughs> lot. Last time you were here, um, talking about the fact that, uh, you know, we were talking about Duke's successor, and I was saying, well, Coach K will be licking his chops. I mean, excuse me, Roy will be licking his chops whenever Coach K leaves. I'm like, but Roy's up there too. I mean, could he even wait that out? Because, you know, his end should probably be coming soon as well at Carolina. Uh, I can see that angle of him wanting the North Carolina job. And if he did great at Vanderbilt, I think he would be in line to get it, to be honest. Because like you said, so. where are those North Carolina ties in college basketball with other coaches that make it a obvious fit? Carolina could, of course, just go outside the family to get somebody. But if he goes to, Carol- he goes to Vanderbilt and turns him, he does the job that Kevin Stallings was doing. I think he'll get the job. I think he'd be the favorite. Yeah. Like, if he can, if he can get Vanderbilt to the level that, like, um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of, like, what's, like, like what's, like, reasonable and like possible of somebody of like a program now i mean first thing i thought of was like i mean kelvin sampson like what bruce pearl's doing at at auburn you know those are very high level but like if you can kind of do with danny with, with uh bobby hurley's doing arizona state like i you know that's done much but like if he can get variable to the tournament consistently is basically what i'm saying yeah the fact that he was a great north carolina player is going to go a long way 
yeah, play in the league. Like I, I guarantee you, Michael Jordan will be, you know, in his camp. Like I, I, I think it will. I think that would. It wouldn't shock me. Um, Kenny Smith, if if he really wants to coach in North Carolina, he should he should probably coach in college as well. But I don't think he's gonna do that. What's uh? What's your trash? This, what's your trash this weekend? Um, trash this week, EJ is the uh, Alliance for of American Football, the AAF. For those who don't know what that is, um, the new football league that was started up uh, as kind of a counter to the NFL that was running uh, during the spring season. It is uh, gone. Done, shutting down, closing up shop. It was very quick. Uh, apparently, the the well, the league had been struggling financially. They brought in a new investor from the the owner of the Carolina uh, Hurricanes came in and put I forgot the amount of money. It was a lot of I think it was like two hundred fifty million into the uh, into the operation to help out Bill Polian and. Charlie Ebersol with the uh, with the running of this uh, league, uh, and he just came out this week and was like, you know what? No, nah, I'm done. The rumor <laughs> is that the the rumor is that he did this all to help set up a gambling app, or he did this all to help get the technology that he needed for a gambling app, and that once that gambling app was complete, his job was done, and he was planning on shutting it down, uh, which is pretty messed up. Because he came in as the savior of the league, and it was all forced to line his own pockets. He ended up losing a lot of money on that, but um, it, it ended up working out in that in that sense. So uh, it's a shame that we're losing that. But in the bright side, we are getting the XFL very soon. Yeah, uh, boy, for a league that showed so much promise in the first week, I mean. Boy, talk about a thing escalating quickly to where now you're not even you're done. The league's over. I mean, that's uh, that's quite shocking. But to be fair, though, it's kind of why I really looked side eye at these people that were just leaning into this AF is showing that football is king and all this stuff after the first week. Yeah, I, that was it, over foolish. It, it, it was. It was. It was over the top. Uh, it, it definitely was strong. It definitely showed that f- football is still popular in this country, and which we all know. Um, but they seemed extra. They were too extra with it. No, to me, without obviously knowing that this was, I, I didn't think it'd be this quick. But this this end was coming at some point. I didn't see this as a viable thing long term because I just don't think that people antennas are gonna be tuned in beyond maybe the first few weeks. Because once March Madness comes this time of year, there's no one's paying attention to that thing, and that's a whole month where nobody's paying attention to what you're doing. And I don't know what the ratings have been, but I, 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 I would assume they haven't been that great because the people that were championing those ratings uh, in the first weekend have been silent about the AAF. So um, we'll see what happens with the XFL. Hopefully, they do better. But um, while this it was all surprising because it happened so quickly. It's not surprising in that uh, expecting to have another football league with the players that aren't the stars that we are expected to see, that people are going to stay invested. 
and that's going to be high quality. It's just it's tough. It's a tough thing. It's why the leagues, other leagues that have tried, haven't really worked out. So um, let's get out of here with Kendall's court. What do you got? Yeah, EJ. I have a. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about Zion Williamson and Duke earlier, but beyond the the basketball aspect of Zion, or not, not necessarily basketball, but beyond the college basketball aspect of Zion, is now, like you mentioned, Duke career is likely over, which means his NBA career will start soon. And a lot of interesting nuggets have uh, come about since their loss to Michigan State about Zion, the NBA future, um, potentially off the court, potentially outside of the NBA. Um, first, Team USA, uh, who will be playing the World Cup out in China this uh, summer. Uh, apparently, according to Mark Stein, is going to reach out to Zion Williamson to gauge his interest in playing in the World Cup. Uh out in China this summer. Um, that's interesting because we don't really, it's rare you see a guy that young playing on Team USA. And when we saw it with Anthony Davis uh, in the Olympics out in London, but still a rarity. Um, and then beyond that, there was an article written on ESPN.com by Nick DePaula where it uh, basically just went 100, it just went completely in-depth on the impending sneaker war, bidding war that will be ensuing for Zion Williamson and how it seems as if he's going to make the richest deal in uh, rookie snoo- shoe contract history. He will probably pass LeBron, who got a $90 million, $90 million contract. He will likely get $100 million. Um, Every brand, obviously, is going to put in a bid for him, but the the running theory is that it'll probably be either Nike or Adidas. Um, well, the one thing, if he wants to play with Team USA, he better shoot Nike. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think if he's trying to go to Adidas, I don't think Team USA is going to put him off. I don't think he will at all. Um, I think that would be foolish, especially since it's going to be in China. Yeah. Um, and I can guarantee you Nike will probably bring that up. And I would I would add on to that if he he chooses Nike he will one hundred percent be on the team. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they tell Pop yeah try and give him some burn as well. Yeah. Um. The other thing is that uh, Sonny Vaccaro was interviewed in that article, and you know they talk, they talked to him about like one. He, I mean, obviously you know. Sonny Vicaro obviously is a, you know, sneaker, you know, guru, for lack of a better term, sneaker endorsement guru. Uh, obviously, he's high on Zion's marketability. Um, but the one thing the one thing that he said that was interesting was that, you know, Nike is seen as the favorite because he went to Duke, and Adidas is the other favorite because he played with them in high school, you know, off the books, of course. <laughs> but... Right. Um, he mentioned that, well, Zion is probably going to get a, a signature shoe because it's probably going to be part of the contract uh, if he's going to sign anywhere. But would, like, how will the rest of 
the guys for Nike, for example, feel if Zion gets a signature shoe and gets like a hundred million dollars as a rookie, like the guy that don't have a shoe, or the guy that even if they do have a shoe, it took them like six, seven years and they had to grind and make all star games to do it. And there are a lot of egos involved. And Nike could be hurt. they could be helping themselves even if they do get Zion, but if they do could be hurting yourself down the line with some of the other guys that they have on their in their stable. I mean, I, I think them guys got to grin and bear it. Uh, like at the end of the day, it's uh, it's a, a capitalistic world, and you are, you, worth you are what you're worth on the open market. You are what you're worth on the open market, and yeah. them guys, regardless of what they've done in the NBA, are not going to be worth as much as Zion Williamson. It's it's unfair, but that's life, kiddo. Like, it's not much really else they can say about it. Now, will that affect future negotiations? Will that affect maybe them wanting to, to, to leave Nike if they don't then get a number on the next contract that they feel is fair based on what Zion got? Possibly. And that's going to be Zion. That's got to be Nike's. Uh, Nike's going to have to adjust from that standpoint. They're going to have to then say, all right, well, you know, we're going to have to say, is it worth losing or hurting relationships with other guys to ensure we get Zion? My thinking would be yes, but it's going to be a risk regardless because as great as I am, we still haven't seen them play in the NBA, so we don't know what that's going to be like. But if you're doing all the projections, the money shows that this guy should be an extremely lucrative cash cow because of just how exciting he is. From a shoe-selling standpoint, there's no question that that should be easy. I'm not sure. Slam dunk, no pun intended. (laughs) I'm not sure if Zion's going to have a signature shoe. You know, like he would if like if he goes to like Puma or someplace like if he, go, if he goes to a third party, but if he goes to Nike or Adidas, I'm not convinced he's gonna have a signature shoe right away. I don't know, man. This guy is different. I mean, I mean obviously LeBron had one. Durant LeBron had one. Got one. I, I I think he will. I I think he will. I think especially after that whole shoe debacle, yeah, his, I mean, with his foot falling apart. Like I I think that I think that. You know, to sweeten that pot of that deal to make sure he will sign on that line. Not only will they allow him to be on Team USA. I won't say allow because the kid is special. And, you know, they're going to put him on Team USA. Uh, I think that they could also say, you know, we just going to give you your own shoe and really try to go through the science to make sure we have the sh- shoe that's going to be best for your feet. Do you feel like that's part of the pitch? Because when I read that article, when I read that tweet about Mark Stein saying Team USA is going to reach out to Zion to gauge his interest of playing on the team. I, I I don't know if I read that like I read that as like like Team USA officials like just really want Zion to play, even though like he wasn't on the roster and like guys are going to want to play in this in this World Cup. Yeah, there's no yeah no one in their right mind in Zion's status is turning down playing for the World Cup. Yeah, and like I mean like NBA players. But yeah, like LeBron but yeah. said he's not playing, but like, I'd be shocked if like let's say like it's only James Harden. Like, yeah, nah, I'm gonna sit. Is it, it's in China this year? Is it in China? Yes. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. All these guys are gonna want to play. <laughs> like this is that's know, easy, the Zika virus in Brazil. Yeah, that's easy money. It's easy money. The brands will make sure these guys play. Yeah. So, like, they have their pick of the litter. Like, they can have probably Anthony Davis and you know. Boogie and you know Andre Drum, like whatever big man they want, they could Eddie Wing, like all these dudes are probably going to play. So the fact that they are prioritizing Zion, do you feel like that is 
Team USA saying like we just want to make sure we have a young guy for the future, or do you think that that is in part Nike saying like, yes, we? Really I, want I mean, him. I think it's a mixture of both. I think that Team USA definitely wants to get him in the fold, but I think I think Nike is absolutely behind us. Yeah. Yes, and we say gauge interest. That makes me think that oh yeah that. You know, to me, he's a guy you just name on the team. Like, then you, he declines, he declines. But, like, say you gauge in your interest, then you think, okay, there's conversations that need to be had about things beyond just basketball. He's saying you want to gauge his interest. So, I don't know. It should be, uh, we'll see. Uh, I think that uh, he will, I think that he will sign with Nike and he will be on the team. But, um, I agree. But, uh, these things, these shoe things are very unpredictable. When those guys started signing with Puma last year, it, nobody saw that coming. So, is he going to play in the summer league? Another question. I, I would expect he would, but I don't know how the Team USA training camp will coincide with the World Cup. The World Cup is usually later in the summer, yeah, it's usually late August. so it shouldn't it shouldn't coincide. But you never again, you never know. He you know he could be like, I don't want to get hurt if I know I'm playing with Team USA. So. Uh, I I think he will. I I think it's good for again. I think it's good for these guys' brands to play in the summer league. I thought it was great. at this point, yeah, it was great for Lonzo Ball. The, all the attention and stuff he got, and and winning MVP. I mean that helped the hype train going into the yeah. Lakers season. So uh, I would advise him to play in the summer league. If he didn't, uh, I would say that it's good. You know, even if it is just one or two games, to that alone, that that experience and that hype, you know. LeBron played in the summer league, so I don't think that Zion's not playing. To me, unless again, the only way actually I'm not playing is if it's a Team USA conflict that he just feels like he doesn't want to get hurt, or there's something with their practices that, that or like a, to that or a trade or a trade. Yeah, where obviously if he gets traded or he's on the block, maybe a team will hold him out. You know, if the Knicks are are, are dangling him, and then they feel like they they have a trade in, in with the with the Pelicans, perhaps they don't put him on a summer league roster. Uh, I think that's a good place to leave you, Kendall. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of the New Generation <clears throat> Sports Talk Podcast. You can catch all of our shows on the New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Make sure you catch us on YouTube, New Generation Media, and subscribe to our channel. Uh, make sure you catch us on social media, New Generation uh, Media, New Generation New Gen- yeah, New Generation Media for Facebook, at New Generation Pod for Twitter, and uh, at New Generation Podcast for uh, Instagram. Follow me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. Uh, on Instagram, I'm Action EJ. We'll be back next week with more sports talk and a recap of the Final Four and probably close to a preview of the NBA playoffs. I think by that point, we, we'll be, be pretty much right there. So uh, This sports season is really just getting started. I love this time of the year. Things are really starting to rev up when it comes to hoops. So it should be a fun time next week on the show. So keep your uh keep make sure you uh join us again next week. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Peace.